0: There. Welcome to football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Kyle Martino, who just finished up seven years with NBC Sports and is working on a few cool new projects. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Gio Reyna, Fabrizio Romano and the Cooligans, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast's growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Kyle Martino. Our guest now is our old friend, Kyle Martino. Kyle was a creative midfielder for the U.S. men's national team, the Columbus Crew, and the L.A. Galaxy. He spent seven years as an NBC Sports Premier League studio analyst, He's the creator of the Golfer Playground Soccer Goal and he has recently moved to Brooklyn where he has just started House H A U S a membership community space for soccer fans. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's good to see you, man.
0: It is. It's I mean, been way too off, long. Just, it's been way too long. How are you, man? It, it it's been several months since we've had a chance to talk.
1: Uh I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um it's been Man, I, uh, I would say our, our, our ships have passed and sometimes, you know, docked at the same place at the same time in the last two years in like remarkable iterations of, you know, our individual lives and also what's going on. So it's been a wild, wild two years for me, um, obviously challenging times in myriad ways, but, but the evolution of where things are now and what I've been through in the last two years, I feel really Good.
0: Good. That's great to hear. It, it's really nice to have you as a fellow New York City resident now. Um, what led to you deciding to move into the city itself?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a really tough decision um, that my ex, Eva, and I made. When we decided to get divorced after working so hard on the marriage, um, it was a decision made from such a positive place. And co parenting was immediately the goal, right? It was this how do we transition to this new normal and be the best versions of ourselves um, for our own mental health and our own happiness, but also that being tethered so directly to being good parents for our kids and making them feel safe and loved and understand they have a family. It's just not the normal family that everyone talks about, that kind of social construct. Um, and so we we, you know, we had a lot of decisions to make and where I was going to live um, because it was so easy to decide that he, she's going to have – most of the time with the kids. So the kids are going to stay in the home. So, you know, dad's got to find a new spot. And, um, you know, I'd say ever since I was little, I'm fascinated with Brooklyn, the culture of it. Maybe I listened to too much Beastie Boys when I was young. But um, we have this, not without challenges, but this amazing opportunity as parents to give our kids two different lives and, and access to two totally different cultures a very diverse creative one here and a, a suburban one with all sorts of amazing amenities and space and beach um in Connecticut and you know we we worked through that decision together and and I would say partly for me the decision was I didn't want to be a facsimile of the life they already had with their mom I, I wanted to you know make decisions on my own have experiences with them on my own and and have them here um and show them you know just what what the world can be like when you cross all these different cultures every single day and also did, you know didn't want to have the ex on speed dial where she could come bail me out of, of situations <laughs> i need to figure out on my own
0: <laughs> i think most people would say that NBC has done a terrific job on the Premier League since 2013, and, and you were a huge part of that. The, the whole group of, of studio and broadcast talent there has felt like a family, and part of that was that there hadn't been any turnover in the group. So I think fans had a real sense of loss when the news came that you weren't coming back for this season. What happened there? Was that your
1: choice or theirs? It was both. And, um, you know, I think... Um, It's such a tough decision, and I I love those guys so much. It's family, and you know, when you work in in, in an intimate group like that for so long, you establish these bonds that last forever. Um, I have to say, watching the first couple weekends was surreal and strange, and, um, you know, it brings doubt into your head, but this absolutely was the right decision, and I'm so grateful um, for my bosses at NBC for you know, kind of helping me see this, helping me see that I, I, you know, go all the way back to the election. I was always kind of torn. I was, I was always putting some of my time and attention on these projects that mean a lot to me. And after the election, things really changed for me. You know, the issues of consequence, you and I have spoken about a ton. You and I spoke when I decided to, to make that decision. You know, people thought that was crazy to, to leave the job at that time. And uh, were I to win, that would have been it at that point. And so, um, you know, I, it was just time. It was just time to move on to other challenges and, you know, great bands break up, you know, sometimes for bad reasons. And sometimes just because it's hard to hold the, the it's hard to hold the world that brings success together long and make it feel as organic and natural as it has been this whole time. And, you know, I think it was time for a fresh voice too. You know, Timmy Howard is a is a is a was a brilliant player, is a brilliant person, and is going to be a great pundit and soon. You know, uh, people will forget that I was even on that show, and I I still, uh, <laughs> you know, and That's I I okay. still have my WhatsApp chat. I still I still I saw Robbie Musto for dinner the other night. You know, these guys these guys are going to be in my my life forever. Um It was just. It was just time to move on.
0: You are one of the few people who's worked for NBC, Fox Sports, and ESPN over the I'm years. I'm very loyal.
1: I'm a very loyal person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do soccer television again in the future?
1: Well, I'll tell you that one of the big um, factors that was creating a friction that wasn't going to go away um, there was always this kind of, you know, listen, I love the job and this isn't to discredit or or, um, or be pejorative about those choosing to do it. I just had different circumstances where I just felt a void when I couldn't put a lot of my efforts into other things. And what's unfair to my NBC team is it started to create the zero sum game of less of my attention and focus on the NBC job when everyone else was making that their first priority. And that's not really fair to a team and maybe people don't notice that when they watch shows and stuff. But I, that, that was something that was going to come to a head at some point. But really, the, the reason the weekend warrior thing is tough, I put out a post, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, my daughter came to me and honestly, like, I, I could start crying right now. She said to me during that crazy stretch where we were doing, I, I think I did like 20, 20 days and 26 or something like that. And missed, missed so many important things. And my daughter came up to me and said, you know, you, you really hurt my heart that you haven't been around lately. And it was like, wow. You know, I mean, you, you hear that yeah. from, from a six-year-old. That's that's going to change your perspective a little bit. Um, and I think the same drive I have that is one part OCD and one part ambition, you know, is is you know, to go to set these big goals and say them out loud and use them as markers to get to and sprint to, sometimes that can, that can hurt people around me. And I just looked at my daughter that day and, and I said, you know, I, I'm going to make this up to you, Loie. And then when the decision was made and, and I finally, you know, just felt this is right. I got, I've, I've got to step away from this role. I got my weekends back for the first time in 20-something years. And I looked at my daughter and said, I'm not going to miss one of your soccer games this year. And I've, I've been at all three of them so far, and all three of them so far would have been dates that I would have been scheduled to be in the studio. So it would probably, it, I love the job. I love the world. I love being around the game like that. So I would never say never, but it'd be tough to take another, another weekend TV job.
0: I, I hear there's a tournament that has games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays.
1: <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs>
0: I want to ask you about Gopher. This is a project that you've been working on for a few years now. It's something I'm pretty sure you've gotten patents for even uh, Could you describe for listeners what Gopher is and where you are with it right now?
1: Um, you know Gopher is a silly concept that I came up with in a kitchen one morning when I couldn't sleep that um you know, I, I, I had, I would, I, mean, I would call it gumption, but more kind of naivete that that could become something that could be transformative. Um, out of the election, access was was on my mind. Access, access. Listen, all, and then I, I did a lot of your shows, and, and we had these conversations even offline. So much of the election got lost in this upper pyramid discussion that was really not important. It feels important, and it's dramatic, and and. You know, it's big names, it's big money, it's it's World Cups like that. That feels so important, and it is. But but where I was terrified is the pyramid is is greatest and most underserved and most fragile underneath that top echelon, and it's being mismanaged and and it's a fiefdom of just battling for um, you know the the right to sell dreams, but but take fun and access away from a lot of these kids and. Uh, you know, I I was looking and I kind of drew a Venn diagram of okay, I see participation, enjoyment, access as this kind of triad that they're all individual but overlap at a point. And I just I, I worked with the Aspen Institute of Sports and and Tom Ferry and all those guys to try to understand like it, it, there's no silver bullet, right? No panacea. But if you could if you could focus on one area, they said Kyle, well, participation and retention, the number one indicator that you're going to make progress there is proximity to a facility. So right away, I was like, need, need more places to play hyper local to those being locked out of the game. And I thought about what you and I notice all over the world, but never do anything about or think anything about, which is every basketball court has a soccer goal under the hoop. And I thought, well, how many basketball courts do we have in New York City? And uh, I'm not going to tell you the number, but it's in the thousands. And it's, and it's incredible that a lot of them are underused. A lot of them aren't used at all. A lot of them are decrepit. So I thought if I can find a way to create a goal system to go under that, that assuages liability and cost concerns for a lot of these officials that unlock public space, then we're getting somewhere.
0: And and where are you with it? And, and how has that design evolved?
1: So- um, Where we are now is we have uh, 10 city partners signed up to do court conversions. And ultimately, the decision we've made is to do one court in each one of these cities um, as a beta because I'm just, I refuse to be a ribbon cutting ceremony, you know, uh, using the metrics of success of how many courts we we open. Really, the success has to be do the courts achieve what, what you want? When you make a dynamic space that can be a basketball court, a street hockey court, a soccer court, does that bring activity, safety, enjoyment, and, and social justice to these communities? Um, so where we are is the pandemic made it really difficult to, to satisfy the promise we made on the front end to these city partners. And so we've stepped back a little bit and are focusing on three cities where in, uh, in March of 2021, we're going to do our first courts with the new model Um, which is a telescoping model. Some might have seen, I installed one in my backyard. Have an amazing company called Dante TC that actually is out of Argentina. And um, no one's seen the model that that has inspired because um, no one's allowed to yet. But I was sitting in an airport one day and the first one I came up with that I got a patent for was that face folding one. And I was thinking to myself, it's gotta be faster. Like it's gotta be faster, it's gotta be easier. It's gotta, you know, my six-year-old's gotta be able to put this up and put it down. And I had the handle to my suitcase and I was like, God, like, you know, what, what could we do with this goal system? And I was like, oh, well, why don't we just telescope it straight into the ground like traffic pollards? And so, yeah, that's what we have. And we're working with a lot of groups to, um, you know, for me, we could do a lot of private spaces, but this has to be a public option.
0: So where do you want to be in five to 10 years, Gopher?
1: Um, you know, for me, I want to walk down the street and success for me is walking by those courts, you know, walking by the court that everyone knows. That's one of those magic courts that turns into three different things. Kind of like that foosball table that turned into an air hockey table that turned into a ping pong table when we we're little. If, if I can walk, if I can fly to LA, fly to Chicago, you know, fly to Columbus, Ohio, fly to Bridgeport, Connecticut, fly, to, you know, walk around New York City and see them, which isn't success, but see them being used, you know, that, that for me, and you've heard me say this a lot, and I, and I believe it, it is my North Star. You know, everything's a bit of a Trojan horse to watch our men win a World Cup in, in our lifetime, right? Like, the, everything has that agenda behind it. But this, this pandemic is hurting those that were locked out of sport before it. The pandemic has hurt them the most. And on the other side of this, the budget and the resources needed to get them active is being decimated. So for me, it is, it's essential for the health and wellness of the community, but also to become the multi-sport nation that will ensure we stay the soccer nation growing in power, to be able to have our men be as good as our women and have this game be the gift it's been to me for millions of kids that haven't really accessed it yet.
0: So over the years, whenever we've met up in New York City, it's usually been at Soho House where you've been a member. And and now you've started something on your own called House, H-A-U-S. It's a membership community space. No copyright issues there.
1: No copyright issues there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Out in Brooklyn, I've seen you posting on Instagram about it, but what are the exact details of what it is?
1: You know, it's funny. I've been pretty coy about what it is because part of my obdurance, which sometimes is fun and sometimes obnoxious, is like this kind of red pill, blue pill thing that um, doesn't doesn't put you in any hierarchy, just means like, are you the type of person on what little I've told you that wants to give this a run and give it a try? But to, to kind of explain the, the concept behind it, I was so lucky in my playing days and Street FC and Golfer and House, all of them are these kind of, you know, uh, cherry picking a la carte. Some of the best things I enjoyed about my playing career, and thinking you don't have to be great at soccer to enjoy a lot of these things. And so, you know, that clubhouse vibe, that players' lounge, that solo house, you know, that we work, that that community space, but but um, linking it to what I consider the greatest conduit on the planet, this game of football, like this this game that. Um, has has such incredible power i think we get lazy sometimes as a country where the natural inertia of this game makes us congratulate ourselves for bad planning and and not all that interesting you know uh, uh, services and there's always going to be the united bar the spurs bar or whatever that's always going to exist nothing i create is is to is to be the marketplace. It's always because I just feel there's something missing that I want to be a part of. And so I just had this idea of let's create a, a kind of speakeasy members clubhouse that has 200 slots. Let's, let's put it in a, in a place that is a community of creatives, a community of, of interesting things to experience when you're not there. Maybe one day, you know, link it to Street FC so, so there is a clubhouse for the actual sort of playing side. But for right now, I just think it's interesting enough to get people from different backgrounds, you know, different genders, different different uh, businesses and industries and levels of enjoyment, levels of play, levels of, of knowledge. Get them all in a space and then leave them alone. You know, let them have ownership in this space and let it kind of grow organically to see, you know, it's kind of like that terrible real world, like what happens when, when, you know, when six people get chosen to live in a house? Like what happens when like a community of 200 people have a place to meet, to, to celebrate and consume this game, but in an agnostic way where it's not linked to you must be this good. You must, you must be this gender. You must be from this background. You must, you know, celebrate this club. You know, what, I don't know the answer to it. So part of it's a bit of an experiment to see what we got here. Obviously, it's a great
0: soccer community here in New York. There's a lot yeah. of really interesting people of all different types and and backgrounds and all of it. It's one thing I love about living in New York City. And there's other cities like that, obviously, in America, yeah. too. You've, you've been to them. But um, how does it work in terms of like, is it an invitation, like membership thing? There's like a monthly fee. Like, how, yeah. how does all that work?
1: Um, So how it works is um, there's a link that's in the bio at footy house is the Instagram handle. And there's a link in there that takes you to a landing page that tells you very little. Um, And (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a hundred bucks a month to, to have a slot in this, in this house. And once you're there, that's the last thing you spend money on. It's, it's a, it's almost like a potluck of people bringing things to be there. There's this incredible artist who's um, off foot, off underscore foot, who brought a piece of his work to hang up the other day. And we have a couple of comedians who are members. Uh, most people will know about them. You know about them, the Kooligans. They want to do a comedy show here. And so, you know, the idea is, you know, the, the $100, wh- whether you stay a member or not and, and continue to renew is, is, I, I I feel like a small bet to say, like, I think I'm going to enjoy being a part of this community, especially with what we're going through and how people are longing to get back to, in a socially responsible way, being around people again and being able to calibrate their risk management and know they're going to go to a place that, um, it is going to be thoughtful in getting them back together, but also, you know, a place that they have equity in, in terms of it's going to become what, you know, in a democratic way, what the group wants it to be.
0: Yeah, how big of a challenge is it to start a community space right now with the virus still being out there, unfortunately?
1: Well, it's really challenging because, you know, we limit how many people are inside. Um, and obviously, before we even limit how many people are inside, there are people that think this is great, just not for me right now. Um, the unfortunate part of the space is there's a big outdoor yard in the back. We had a, a watch party for um, the Liverpool Arsenal game on Monday, and it was great because we have a space inside that spreads people out. We've got the thermometer that's handless when you come in. We've got the hand sanitizers, the masks, and it's big enough and we're small enough right now where we can we can spread everyone out and, and assuage any any concerns people might have. In terms of risk management and we 're going off of all the recommendations that the restaurants and everyone else have about opening up right now um, in a way it 's easier to open something like this during this time period because you know people people need it you know my, myself i 've talked about it a lot, like I struggle with mental health issues and and being alone is a tough is a tough thing for me, you know not being around the game, not being around people not being able to see faces and laugh and smile. I mean, we all know why we have to do certain things and it's non-negotiable. We should have done a lot of these things from the beginning, wearing a mask when we're going places, when we're around other people. But, but at this point, um, the thing that's kind of blown me away is, you know, how many people and, and don't, don't agree or aren't in echo chambers, how many people might disagree on many things, but come together to create such a, such a um i I don't know a, a place of chemistry and a place of of respect and enjoyment and to do so so quickly it shouldn't surprise me because it's basically what this game always does so we'll see where it goes um you know eventually my my dream is if this works to be able to you know be the kind of you know soho house uh without some of the things i hate about soho house of of soccer around the country
0: I mean, I don't want to get too kind of big picture about this, but we're recording this the day after a pretty horrible debate. Um, and Oof. I think people are looking for community more than ever and and finding like-minded people who just love this sport. And I actually do feel like of all the sports that soccer, even in the U.S., is is really well positioned to – to bring people together in a really positive sense of community um, that maybe we're we're lacking more of in society right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I, 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 um, and and this this doesn't make me special in any way. It was just a decision I made, and listen, I did it, and I was fearful and insecure. But I've always used my my Twitter and Instagram platforms back when I was on Twitter, um, to, to speak about, you know, political issues, social justice issues. I didn't really look at it as politics. You know, that was just an easy kind of category to put it in. I just looked at it as the human, you know, condition issues that we should all really care about and be able to disagree on again. You know, I, I think the lack of discourse, definitely from both sides is, is a troubling thing. So, it was less about creating an echo chamber where we could all go and congratulate each other for being smart and agreeing. It was more like, is it, is it, is it okay to, um, continue to use soccer as, as a, as an instrument, as an instrument for, um, for thought, for critical thought, for understanding, for compassion. And, um, I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's one specific industry that brings diametrically opposed positions together just for a moment where you could sneak in a thought or an idea better than this game. So we have, a, um, you know, the, the, all the members and, and we have about 25 now in the Slack channel that we use as our kind of portal to interact with each other. And like it was on fire last night during the bait. Some of it funny, some of it, you know, drinking game gifts you know, of of like, you know, when when Trump says this or Biden says this, finish your beer, and then some of it was just thoughtful stuff that got everyone kind of thinking, and and you know, you're always worried because that can be the third rail in any in any kind of community situation, um, and I and I can tell you, not everyone agrees on on all the topics on anything, whether it's offside or or you know, Jose Mourinho or or this debate last night, but it's nice, to, it's nice to be in an environment where it feels safe to be yourself and, and you, can, you can hold your ground while, while learning something new. How much work have you
0: personally, yourself put into getting, getting this ready? house like it seems like from ev- every once in a while I'll, I'll check your your Instagram and like you're like doing like carpentry work or something
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean part part of the NBC decision um and if I'm being honest part of why my my ex-wife was probably like oh, it's gonna be a tough run with this guy is like <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how to I mean I guess sometimes I don't know how to ask for help but like I just, when I see something and, and when, when something kind of just grabs me, um, I, I, it's insatiable. Like I, I gotta get myself in it and I gotta be there. So, um, you know, go for, instance, what's in the backyard is, is my design. I finally have this amazing engineer team that I should have got a while ago. And so, yeah, I'm down there making things, um, you know, doing a lot of the, the creative and graphic design and all this stuff. But the cool part about it is, um, with all these projects, I just get it to a kind of a few trial balloons to say, you know, I think there's something here. And there's always someone, you know, it was Dennis Prowley with with Street FC. Um, it was Joel Katz, who, who came to be my executive director at Over Under Initiative and many more people. And with House, a, a buddy of mine, you know, Gabe jumped in to help and a few of the members have already taken kind of roles on. So it's like, i don't know i I kind of think of myself as like forrest gump that like doesn't really know why but he's like you know taking off and he's running and then you kind of look back and like there's a bunch of people with you so house is kind of a another example of that
0: so you ran for u.s soccer president in in 2018 no uh, which seems like which seems like forever ago
1: no i'm not no i'm not I'm not going to do it. Don't even ask You know ask where it. I'm
0: going with this. You know where I'm going with this. There's a U.S. soccer presidential election coming in February, and then another one, the regular four-year one, the year after. Do you have any interest in running again?
1: I mean, I have interest, but uh, I don't have time, and I, and I don't have enough brown hair left. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, last time um, – I mean, people honestly thought I was insane, like to walk away from NBC, to go into a thankless, unpaid position. You know, of, of, of course, you know, this tiny, little, very loud group thought I was out for all the money. And, and you know, to, to be famous, not, not realizing I was making a lot more money. and was a lot more famous doing what I was already doing. Um, I, I, the answer today is no but but um i'm always i'm always just looking because why i ran last time was not feeling confident that someone was in there that i was gonna feel great about um so listen i, I, I know people have their opinions i, I respect cindy parlo cone a lot um i think she's incredibly bright she's been there for a very long time whether she runs or not or whatever happens with that I, i'm not i'm not in the know. But that's one data point. That's one thing where I'm like, okay, like I'd be interested to see what she can do, you know, like really do, like be in in the role for for long enough to create substantive change because the mistake everyone was making where everything got crazy and and, and you were there, you had a front row seat for for the wildness and that reality show that got created by a few people. But like um, no one was going to be able to change that world right away. I mean, no one. There, there, There was no candidate, there was no person that was going to be able to come in and get the women what they deserved right away, and it fix fix the the, the amazing battle and, and tribal youth units that are driving kids out of the game and cost up. No, no one was going to be able to fix that. It was going to take you know two, three, maybe even four years to to establish the type of trust um, and, and empower the right people and create the architecture that doesn't currently exist to be able to not be important as an individual. You know, I think. The the problem before was you had so much authority as as a president you you could you could create in a room full of four people just vast legislation uh, legislature that that changed the game overnight um, or, or had interest in one one you know silo or one category you, you know the one I guess positive out of that that becomes tough is that you know Carlos couldn't do that. And, and, you know, it's the right thing. That's kind of gone. But it would have been nice right before that was gone if the right person was like, all right, before, like, I don't have ultimate power. Like, this is what we should be doing. Okay, I'm done.
0: <laughs> it is crazy because when you look at what happened since 2018, you um, the, the U.S. women won another World Cup in 2019. Right around that time, World Cup 26 gets awarded to North America, including very much most of the games will be in the U.S. Um, Carlos Cordero is is out now as of earlier this year. There's a new uh, general secretary, CEO, Will Wilson. So Dan Flynn is out. Sunil Gulati is, is no longer involved on the board. There's been a ton of change in the US Soccer Federation. Cindy Parlow Cone is now the president, at least through the next election. But because of the pandemic, I get the sense that we don't really know much yet about mm-hmm. about Cindy Parlow Cone as president and about Will Wilson as CEO and they've had to make a bunch of cuts. DA's gone. Yeah, as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, like it's crazy some of the stuff that's happened and yet how little we sort of know about this the new regime in a sense. Do you have any sense of it yet? Um,
1: no, I don't. Um, you know, I, I was in the know, uh, you know, based off of my relationships with people on the inside and, um, you know, some of those people aren't there anymore, but also my, my interest and capacity to be up to date and, and, and to, to be able to, to figure out and, 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 climb through the opacity to get to some sort of understanding of what's going on. Um, you know, I, that's not there. So I, I'm, you know, I'm just as knowledgeable as the next person And that it's not a very transparent system. So we don't really know what's being done. Uh, I know a lot about what's going on on the DA side, just because um, that's always been interesting to me. It was one of the biggest problems I saw. And I tried really hard. When I brought Thierry to come speak to the convention some some people don't know this you do I got all the heads all the technical directors all the you know all the families together of youth soccer and we met in a boardroom um and and you know Thierry had some amazing things to say one thing Thierry said to that group is you know if I grew up in this country I would never have played soccer um and you know try we tried to kind of get out of everyone like why can't, why can't rising tide lift all boats? Where, where is the the point of contention? Where is this friction that causes this fight that's driving kids out of the game? And we got really, really close to it. And so I honestly think the things going on with the DA, ultimately there's, I'm hearing a lot of positives about, you know, people are allergic to the idea of MLS being involved in something without having any logic to explain why they feel that way. Um, there are a lot of positives about what MLS and, and this shift away from the DA as U.S. soccer had it going. It's a lot of things I hear sound good. We'll see what happens. But outside of that, this, this has to be one of the big things. And I, and I did that progress plan trying to get people like one of my goals was someone take this. A lot of great minds. And listen, I, I was, a, I was a, a vehicle of getting thought out. That, a lot of that's not my thought, just great people in the room. And I wanted to leave that to say, whoever goes forward, take this. But I also want to challenge the other candidates to say, put on paper what you, what you aim to do. Otherwise we can't measure you and understand whether you're doing what you said or not. I'm really hopeful transparency and a system that the members, you know, this is a member services organization from the outside can say, uh, yeah, that guy that we voted for is doing okay. Yeah. Like this person that was hired in that that role, we understand what they're doing. Like. I know, and I see it through through the lens of a parent now for the first time, I know why my, my kid's involved with this, and I feel good about that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that someone comes forward and the big part of their platform is finally bringing the sort of transparency that we deserve from that organization.
0: We're winding down here with Kyle Martino. Really appreciate the time.
1: And I, I just want to ask, like,
0: what do you want to see happen with U.S. soccer in the coming years? Because there's... There's a lot of cool stuff that's coming, including a world cup.
1: Yeah. Um, I sat down, someone, someone tried to tried to hard sell me on, on running again the other day. And we sat down had a long talk. Someone I, I respect a lot. And, um, the difficulty is what I, two things. One is what I want from us soccer. I don't know if they're capable of, and I'll, and I'll say what it is in a second. The other is, I'm not sure if, if they're meant to do it. Um, and, and it's, and it's built from the bottom of the pyramid up. It's, it's, it's truly let the end of the line, you know, the, the developing the Alex Morgans and, and her helping us win a World Cup and the Megan Rapinos, you know, and, and, the, uh, and, and the, the Pulisic's and the McKinney's and all of these incredible success stories that make us feel like, oh man, are we getting this right? Like, how good is this? I mean, I have genuine joy even though I know his, his parents, when, when Gio Reyna plays well, I, I have joy in, in my body. And, like, I know where that comes from. D- you know, Claudio and Danielle, there's a reason that, that is outside of our infrastructure and our plan and our architecture for Gio. Some of it definitely because of it. But but there is a natural kind of – he grew up in a soccer household. The, the, the culture of the game lived and breathed in the Reyna household. They have three goals in their backyard. I mean, it's like you can't escape soccer when you're around that family. And it's like, I would want to be, as U.S. soccer president, the, the, the ambassador of culture. Like, I would want to be at the Marcy Projects right down here in, in Williamsburg, where, you know, it's created incredible people like Jay-Z. You know, it can create remarkable athletes too, but more so as a social justice instrument. I, I think U.S. soccer shirts its responsibility to use the game for, for, for good that, that affects and, and lifts all sometimes. But that being said, like, man, is that a massive challenge that I'm not entirely sure they're funded or have the bandwidth for. So you can forgive them for, for getting kind of, you know, drawn to and maybe missing the moon for the finger pointing at it, which is like these big World Cups and these big events, you know how much money they bring in to the organization. So it's like, I guess at some point you have to be less romantic and understand, like, there's a lot of amazing groups that aren't U.S. soccer that can do a lot to affect this change and say, we got you guys. Like, we don't blame you. We got you. But but help us somehow. Help, you know, help us plug this into what you're trying to do.
0: By the way, you've still got time to decide to run if you want to. And you do have yeah. the connections of all these, like, state associations that you built from 2018. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Kyle you're Martino. Gonna, you're going to kill me, Grandma. But... <laughs>
0: Kyle Martino was with NBC Sports for seven years. He's the creator of the Golfer Playground soccer goal. He has recently moved to Brooklyn, where he has started House, H A U S, a membership community space for soccer fans. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Always a blast, man. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Kyle Martino as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of The Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.